This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. What do you see happening with the freeze movement after the election? I, that's a question that I've asked lots of people and haven't gotten much of an answer. And where do you fit into that? Well, I don't know. I'd much rather talk about the pros and the cons of the freeze movement rather than just simply make this a personal article about what I'm going to do when it's over and where I feel my credentials are. And, yeah. um, but what I'm interested in, in is what is... You're not happen. interviewing me like an average citizen. You're interviewing me like a movie star. What did you expect? Hello, this is Peter Hartlob. Welcome to Total SF. You just heard Ruth Stein, my former editor at the San Francisco Chronicle, interviewing Paul Newman in 1982. Newman didn't want any celebrity questions that day. He only wanted to talk about the bilateral nuclear freeze. But Ruth held her ground as she always does because she's one of the most fearless journalists I've met. The Newman interview is just one story in Sitting Down with the Stars, interviews with 100 Hollywood legends, Ruth's new book out on Grizzly Peak Press. I love this book not just because of the fun, sometimes tense celebrity stories in it. Ruth got kicked out of an interview with Ben Affleck. She says she asked a rogue question about one of the Jennifers, and she doesn't remember which one. But it's also a memoir of sorts and a how-to when it comes to tough interviews. So many of the things I learned from Ruth are in her book. Her career spans 50 years, interviewing Cary Grant and Gene Kelly, and also Timothy Chalamet on the back end. We sat down in Ruth's apartment where she opened up her file of recordings to me. Coming up in this episode, we have snippets of Ruth interviewing Robert Redford and getting him to talk about why he's avoiding plastic surgery, and Tom Hanks talking about his broken family. Ruth and I dish on some of the famous people we've met. She talks about some of the most difficult celebrities she's met, and I asked Ruth one tough question, confronting her on her claim in the book that she found Jerry Lewis kind of hot. Heather Knight has the week off. We'll be back next week with an all-new, very festive episode. Ruth Stein coming up. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to Total SF, journalist, author, mostly British film festival founder and co-director, and my former editor, Ruth Stein. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you. Um, I feel like I came up under your wing and uh, sitting down with the stars, interviews with 100 Hollywood legends is the book. I just read through this book and I felt like I was having a conversation with you and I always love my conversations with you. Oh, well, that's great. I, well, you know, I have COVID to thank for that. That's about the only good thing that came out of it. I suddenly found myself, we had to cancel the festival. I wasn't teaching because I didn't want to just teach on, uh, digitally. And I found myself with all this time and people had always said, why don't you try to put a book together? So I did. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's truth in advertising. There are you're sitting down with the stars in this book, but it's something else too to me. Um, I felt like 
it reads like a manual, how to be an entertainment journalist. And I'd like to start there. Um, how'd you get to be an arts reporter and editor? Um, I'm glad you said that because, uh, because it, it would have sounded weird for me to be saying this, but I do feel in a way that the book is my memoir or as close to a memoir as I'm ever going to write uh, because it is very personal. Um, and it forced me to think back on, on all kinds of things in my life. So I've always loved movies. I grew up with a mother who, um, you know, she took me to films. She tried to get me into The Moon is Blue when it was X-rated by telling the, the, telling the woman at the counter that I wouldn't understand it anyway. But she took me to films all the time. Um, and I used to, I remember it was a habit that every time I finished my um, exams, whether in high school or college, I would go to downtown Chicago to those wonderful movie palaces they used to have and see, go see a movie afterwards. So movies were in my blood and, and I've, I've always gone with my girlfriends, with myself, with my, with my family. Um, but I think the way that I sort of got into the idea of, of interviewing people happened a lot of things in my life kind of happened by accident, but then when you look over the grand plan, you think, well, maybe that wasn't an accident. It was something that was pulling me there this way or the other. Um, so in journalism school, I, I, I've, I've always wanted to be a writer, and actually even a writer for a newspaper. My eighth grade prophecy was, was that I was going to be a gossip columnist. And, uh, um, and, and in you a way, I sort of did that, too. <laughs> you didn't want to be, because all the directors, when you give them a bad review, say, oh, that's just someone who wanted to be a director or a celebrity and ended up being a critic instead. Right. You wanted to be right. what you are. Right. Yeah, those who can do it and the other ones write about it, right. No, I never I never wanted to be a director. I never, well, I wouldn't mind being an actress. I took some acting classes when I was younger, but I never really thought of that as a serious thing. But I was all, I was always good with words and always good with writing. And I remember in the fifth grade, we used to have to stand up in front of the class and, and talk an essay that we'd written, you know. And, uh, and I was just, some of my friends were t terrified about doing it, but I just loved it. I loved being in the front there, and I loved talking, and, and it w talking and writing was something that I could do, and, and there were a lot of things that I couldn't do, but that was something that was always my thing. Um, so I knew I wanted. I knew I wanted to write. I hope hope it was to write for a newspaper. I did go uh, to Northwestern, which has a very fine journalism school, and I got an undergraduate and a master's degree there. And in my master's program, we would uh, cover the arts. And so my first, I guess, celebrity interview was with Pat O'Brien, who was sort of uh, came up with James Cagney and the Irish Mafia. Um, and he and his wife, and they were doing dinner theater. They, they were performing in a dinner theater called the Ivanhoe in, in, in Chicago. And he talked to me a lot about, you know, how he had this great career and then suddenly it just disappeared. And so I was aware very early on that, you know, all, all the twinkles on the screen isn't always forever, you yeah. know, that careers have beginnings and sometimes they have very abrupt ends. And with his, in his case, because he had all these friends and Spencer Tracy in the industry, they all tried to get him into movies, but, but they couldn't, you know, and he ended up doing dinner theater. So I got a little bit of a jaundiced view of, of uh, when I was quite young, like 20 years old or something. Were you, 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 you mentioned that you were comfortable, you weren't tongue-tied. Um, I, I, know you ask all the tough questions. That's what you taught me to do. I'd come back from an interview. Well, did you ask? He just broke up with her. Did you ask about it? I'm like, no, like Peter. Did that come naturally for you or was it taught? You know, I've never, 
I've never been shy, and early on I figured, what, what's the worst thing that can happen if I ask these questions? You know, mm-hmm. really. And in, in one time it did. Ben Flex, people threw me out of the room because I, because I dared to ask him about one of his Jennifers, and I can't even remember which one it was. <laughs> Um, is it the one he's with now or the one well, he was the one, with? Well, I, yeah, well, I, <laughs> you know, I don't remember whether it was Gardner. Or Lo, it, was, it wouldn't have been Lopez the first time around yeah. if, if it was back then. And they did actually. It, it was it was a round table, and I was supposed to interview him one-on-one later on. And when I started asking these nosy questions, they, they did ask me to leave, uh, which I sort of thought was funny. But, uh, uh, but, 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 but what else can they do to you? Do, do, are you get, do you get self-conscious about that ever, though? Do you start to think that, I mean, there's a certain point where you're with that age difference, you're just not going to want to do that to be the romantic lead anymore? Or you take it Sure, different? I wouldn't. I would never want to get to that place where maybe some people have where you're pushing your luck or your limits mm-hmm. to satisfy some ego need or vanity need that you mm-hmm. pretty soon having... Pretty soon you have to start tricking yourself up so much with so much surgery and lifts and so much, so many tricks just to be natural that you're no longer natural. And I don't want to ever get to that. And I know you've gone on record saying you're, none of that's for you, right? <laughs> and so the point will come, you know, when I won't be able to play in a certain range, so I won't. Yeah. You know, and, and then they do give you weird looks, and I, 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 I told the story in... Nicholas Sal interviewed me for the introduction to my book, which was my publisher's idea, and I I think it was a great idea. Uh-huh. A- and I told I told him these stories too. So, the, the most uncomfortable situations. I remember asking Jess, uh, Jessica Lang if she and Sam Shepard were faithful to each other, and I asked her that because she talked about it in another magazine article, you know. And she says something like, "Oh, I can't believe that you're asking me this." And, and then, then I asked Penelope Cruz if she was pregnant, and I got the same thing about, "I can't believe that you're, that you're asking me this." But they both did answer. Uh, <laughs> Jessica said yes. Penelope said no, but she did get pregnant within a couple of months, so I'm not sure she was, she was even telling me the truth. But uh, um, you know. In a way, they're asked. They're, they're like, how can I put it? They're they're like, um, they're like targets. You know, they're putting themselves out there, and and I know people. I guess it's their own. Um, I don't want to say cowardice. That's not quite the right word, but their own sense of embarrassment or awkwardness that they can't really, you know, ask those kinds of questions. They can't make themselves ask them. And that just was never a problem for me. I'm never going to see these people again. We're not going to be <laughs> friends. I'm not coming over for dinner. <laughs> um, I, I think, though, you know, I talk to a lot of people who interview celebrities, and I think they do think, even though it's a 40-minute experience, that they are friends or at least friendly. Yeah, yeah and, I never thought I'd think that. Yeah. Ever. You know, I don't think we're adversaries. And I, 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 and I know people go into interviews sometimes, you know, being very confrontational. Um, I don't think movie stars have done anything to quite disturb, to, to, to deserve that kind of a treatment. I mean, I can see a, you know, a crooked politician and all this stuff. So I've, I've never done that. I've never like been pur- purposely antagonistic to someone or you know, asked them questions. Actually, it's easier to get answers about money than it is about sex. I sometimes thought, but yeah. but I, but you know, I asked questions that were. I I feel like I'm there as a representative of the people. Yeah, <laughs> and I and and I know what what the people would like to know because I know what I like what I would like to know. So I think that's that that is you know, that is what I tried to do. I tried to make I, try, I always try to make these movie stars seem real, mm-hmm. you know. So we have Emma Thompson 
showing me how to put on my lipstick so I don't get it on my teeth because I've come into this interview very early one morning yeah. with red lipstick all over my teeth. And she insisted on showing me this trick. And I, I thought I only had 15 minutes with her or something. I said, I've got to do this interview. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll stay here as long as you want. you got, you got to be able to see You have to be able to know how to put this on so you don't get any lips. This is really important. <laughs> and she showed me with the, the trick with the Kleenex and the whole thing. And I, I love the ones who are able to charm me because I remember The Rock. I went in and I, it was like 10 minutes late. He was 10 minutes late. I was going to say, and you're 10 minutes, ten. No, he was 10 minutes late. And you only had 10 minutes. <laughs> no, no, no. I had my full time huh. and I've waited an hour and a half for a celebrity of half right. his wattage. Right. Barbara Streisand kept it waiting three hours, I think. So after it. after ten minutes, I come in and he's like, "I am so sorry, your time is value." I mean, he was he did this whole thing. Oh, really? That's nice. And then on the way out, he gave me a handshake and kind of did that Clinton, you know, grab the forearm too. And I just want to say I'm sorry again about that. You know, I had you waiting, and I'm like. I realized later, I'm like, that guy should be a politician because <laughs> I was totally sucked in by that. Yeah, yeah, no, that is, that is nice when they, when they, you know, and then just when they expose themselves. I mean, I'm still remembering the Pierce Brosnan interview because it was just so touching to me. I mean, here was this guy, he had just gotten the James Bond thing. The backstory on that is he, he was offered it two movies back, but they wouldn't let him out of his Remington Steel contract, so he couldn't take it. So the, the, his wife, who was just like the love of his life, Meanwhile, contracts a terrible kind of cancer, colon, um, uh, no, the uh, ovarian cancer. But it was usually my habit, if because it was the Chronicle, they would get, you know, they would ask me, "What time do you want to do the interview?" And I'd always ask for the first interview because I figured people were fresh, and then they start repeating themselves, and they think they've already said what they already said, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. But but things got screwed up with the Brosnan interview, so I actually ended up talking to him at the end of the day. And he was exhausted. And people were asking, what, what flavor ice cream would you like to be? And just all these really stupid questions. He was absolutely exhausted. And just you could just tell he was fried. And, and then I started asking about his wife. And all this stuff came out. And again, it felt so real. I had that experience with Antonio Banderas, too. He, he had, had a heart attack the year before. And he talked about how that had changed his life and his whole mm. way of thinking about everything. Where you just, you just listen to these people and, and like, this is real. You know, this isn't like a bullshit interview that they're giving me. This, this is really coming out. We'll be right back after this short break. So we're at the mid-roll. That's a technical term, podcasting term for the middle of the podcast where an ad is about to play. But first, Heather, let's talk about our movie night, Zodiac, on January 19th. It's coming up. Yes, this is our Total SF movie night number 11. Can you believe it? And we are showing the Zodiac. 7 p.m. Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. That's weird to say. It'll be at the Balboa Theater. You can buy your tickets on cinemasf.com slash Balboa. Norton the It's It will be there. Our bagpiper friend Lynn Miller will perform. This is the social event of the season. Don't miss out. We'll see you there. Who did you interview the most? Oh, the most of the celebrities, not you know, of, of people. Oh yeah, people yeah, yeah. Have no. heard of. Um, gee, I think it would probably be between between Robin Pierce and John Travolta. Yeah. 
Uh, oh, Tom Hanks I interviewed, I think, three times. Really? Too. He won't yeah. talk to us now, so... <laughs> Is he mad at the client? I hope he's not mad. I don't know. He might be. I don't know. I, I've... Well, you, I've, you convinced George Lucas to come, too. I've talked to George Lucas twice. I've talked to Hiao Miyazaki twice, who I heard doesn't give interviews. And Hanks, it's, it's always, you know, Pixar. I think they want him to do it, and he just he figures he doesn't need to. Yeah, yeah. With Tom Hanks, I was, I've always been surprised at how open he was. You know, but he had a very troubled childhood, you know, and, and what this, what his marriage means to him, and you know, he he would talk about his his family, you know, pretty openly. Did you, do you ever think how, that your stuff is whipping lucky? Well, obviously you're lucky because you're in this great marriage. But but given your parents' history with divorce, you didn't have a great example of like. You know, I'm, I'm oh, married. Yeah, truly. I mean, I, I, I wasn't in, I, you know, I wasn't abused or anything by a kid, but I lived a very temporal life in which the the permanence played no part of it. You know, now my, you know, my mom loves me very much. I'm her son, but I didn't live with her, and so living with her was never like this kind of option. And my dad, you know, my dad was married, and a lot of stuff was ever going on. So I had to. I did not have growing up this sense that there was a place that would never throw me out. Because we had left so many times and, and we had broken up so many times. And we've been, so it was, and it's funny with the, um, you know, you, it's a kind of thing that goes along with my generation, particularly people who, 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 have, uh, who have gone through like-minded things. You always think there's something that I could say that will make that other person leave me. There's something that I can do that will make that other person kick it's me out of, kick, about kick it, me it? out of the house. And, you know, with, with that gone, it wasn't, with that maybe not part of it, it was a much nicer place. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I, mean, I think that's probably why you're able to see those things in the films that maybe, maybe even Bob's in this sort of missed, or didn't, didn't see. Well, Bob's got all these other philosophies about what Forrest Gump is about, and Eric has a whole other set, and there's only... We jam them all together, and I guess they make them. <laughs> you said at one point there were like 50 people living in your house when your your dad married a woman who had eight kids or something. Uh, she, had, she, she had, I think she had seven kids or six kids. And My dad was in the restaurant business. We had a lot of friends who were kind of like itinerant guys. There was always a lot of people moving in and moving out with us. We had a big house. So, yeah, it was pretty wild. And you also talked about selling... Uh, um, Coca-Colas or whatever at the Oakland A's games with yeah. him. He, he had that local, but I talked to him many years ago. You know, yeah. and, and then and then when he directed the movie, obviously he wanted to do publicity because he it was his movie. You know, that was a terrible experience for him. And he never did it again. But um, I remember he told me he gained like like twenty pounds because he was he was just editing all the time. Yeah. And, and, and the movie was good. Remember. Well, the was it Road to Perdition? Which one no, was no, 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 he didn't direct. No, he, he directed The Thing You Do. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, was good. It was cute, yeah. That was good. But, but yeah, he never did it again. So, uh, so, so with, yeah, with Adam Sandler, um, stopped talking to newspapers after, yeah. afterwards. But he was, he, he was okay when I talked to him. I'm trying, I mean, I probably, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman had to be up there in terms of the interviews that I did not enjoy. And I also had to, did, I'd also talked to him a couple of times, and he was really horrible, every one of them and stuff. But um, I think he was just crazed. I mean, he was doing all these things. He directed a theater company, and he was... Sometimes it's the timing, too. My, yeah. my worst one is that I say, and Michael Chazy and I joke about it still, 
is Jerry Seinfeld. And oh, really? I'd say 40% of it was me. And if I did it again today, I didn't realize he was kind of challenging me and I didn't rise to it. It would have been fine if I did the interview right now. But, you know, it just got worse and worse. And So there was one thing that I read in here that when I read it, I thought this is going to show up in every review of the book. So I'm going to ask you right now to defend your take. Jerry Lewis is kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> My husband, who read everything, he got the first read on everything. It, it, actually, my wording was much stronger when I first put it in, and he said, you've got to temper that, because people are going to think you're crazy, and you've completely lost your mind. So we, we, we sort of said, I sort of qualified it a little bit before I said it. What can I say? I thought he, when I watched him, and this is when he was doing that marathon thing, when I watched the way he was with people and just the way he walked and the way he commanded himself, I just, you know, he just kind of did it for me. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, nothing. Yeah, I don't mean, I don't yeah. mean literally. But he, I, and and you know, if you watch, if you watch that the Scorsese film King of Comedy, yeah, the yeah. way he was in that movie, if you remember that, he, he I thought he stole that movie really. Uh-huh. That's kind of the side of him that I saw, which was. Very domineering, very much his con- control, and but um, I, I, you know, I had I had a very good experience with him. He sent me a lovely note, um, and I know he he could be a difficult interview because some people have written horrible things about him. And then that really sad interview he did right before he died that they never should have sure. let out. Oh, but but he was but but he he felt and he said this in this note to me he said you know you you, you were really prepared for the interview and that's and I appreciated that and I appreciated how much research you had done and he said that so many people come in and talk to me they don't really just they don't really know who I am I mean he was a force in the entertainment world sure sure uh, and you know and and I think it's just a crime that he never got a Kennedy Center honor I mean he. He he did he he was so. I, mean, I remember as a kid, the Martin Lewis movies were. That's where I wanted to go to go every Friday night, you know. And they they were so funny. And then he had this whole other career, and um, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a. Jerry I like hearing this. I I like him a lot more now. Uh, <laughs> this reminds me of when like Mick LaSalle and I, if we review a movie and it's something everybody disagrees with, and then years later someone brings up, do you still like? you know, click, did you really think that Moneyball was a bad movie and I still defend the take? That's what you're doing now, and it's good. It makes well, you I'm, feel better no, about... No, I'm not going to change it because this is this is who I saw. This was his domain, his kingdom. All these people were working for him, and there were dozens of them working in that office making phone calls and everything, and he went around to everyone's desk and he talked to them and chatted with them, and and he had this very, had this very purposeful walk uh-huh. And you see it in King of Comedy, you know. I I just, I found him attractive. <laughs> well, last question. You, in this book, talk about it. You've been on the other side. How does it feel to, to be the person with the book, to be the person with the piece of art they've created? Um, your life is in here. You're on the other side right now. Yeah, what well, it's funny. Like? It's funny. You know, I never wanted, I never wanted particularly to be on the other side. It was never really my goal was that I would be the person who would be interviewed. But I do, there's a wonderful story about Nora Ephron, which I think is a good answer to this. I do under, I do a little bit understand Mick LaSalle, for example, thinking, you know, hey, I'm, I'm interesting. I'm smart. Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> 
Lenore Efron said in her early years when she wrote for the, that, whatever that New York paper was and stuff, and she said she'd be sitting there talking to these people and listening to them, and she'd be going, well, what about me? I'm an interesting person, too. What about me? She'd be thinking to herself. So I can't say that I've never had those moments, particularly when I've been interviewing someone, Lonnie Anderson, yeah. <laughs> thinking, well, it would be more interesting if Lonnie Anderson was talking about me. But, but I never... I've never like craved that or sought it. I mean, the the level of whatever fame I had from being a Chronicle reporter forever was just fine for me. I mean, I you know I never really desired anything more than that. The fact that I stayed at the Chronicle all those years, I never. I mean, I was never really ambitious. And people told me early on that I should be on television, and and I've done quite a bit of TV, especially when I had the singles column. But there was never, I, I like to write, you know, I, I, I felt, I always felt that I was in the place where I should be, yeah. you know, and I got so, and because as you know, writing for a newspaper, you get so many, have so many experiences that other people just can't even imagine. I mean, I met the Queen, I met Prince Charles, you know, uh, uh, I mean, the, just the, the, the events that I've been to and all those years when I covered festivals and I got to see Little Miss Sunshine, the very first time that it was ever shown to anyone, you know, and, and you know, just just these, these incredible gifts, I think, of that, that have made up my life. And, and so I never, I never really wanted anything more than that. With, with Oprah, um, at the end of the interview, I said, I told her, and, and, and this is absolutely true, I, I almost never get, get nervous during interviews, not even talking to Madonna, I just, yeah. I, do, I, I just don't get nervous, you know, I guess because I've done it so often, but I said, you know, with you, Oprah, because you're Oprah, I was a little nervous coming in, and she took my tape recorder, and she held it up to her, and she went, well, you did great, Ruth, you just did really, really great, so I have that on tape, and it was just, it was so sweet, and it was like always really spontaneous and everything, yeah. and, and uh, I loved her, I mean, she was just exactly the way I thought she was going to be, just like she was on television, you know? I, I did a podcast with Henry Winkler, and I wrote... I had written, I have notes like this, because with the podcast, I got to kind of, there's a couple different things I have to have. And so I wrote on the top, don't call him the Fonz. Because <laughs> I, I get things switched up and I'm like, so Arthur, you know, I mean, I could totally see doing that, getting a name switch. So I had it written there and he saw it and he goes, don't call him. He goes, Peter, call me the Fonz. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to call you the Fonz. He goes, call me the Fonz. And I go, Okay, Fonz. And then he goes into Arthur Fonz really and goes, Hey, Peter, happy to be on your podcast. You know, just <laughs> such a sweet man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think surprisingly you can tell quite a bit about people, even, even in a half an hour window, you know. It may not be the obvious things, you know. Yeah. And, and I think as I got, the more I did this, the more I got tuned into sort of looking at the person behind the person and stuff and... Anyway, it was fun. I hate to think that I'm never going to do another celebrity interview. So maybe I'll interview you sometime. <laughs> Congratulations on the book, Ruth. Uh, thank you for having me in your home. And oh. thank you for being my editor. I learned so much from you. And it's oh. awesome that there's a book out now where it brings a lot of that back for me. And I also know that people are going to learn from this, too. Oh, well, that's so nice for you to say, Peter. And you were always one of my favorites. You oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, thanks again. All right. And congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. 
Total SF is a production of The Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Thank you.